Um, uh, yeah, and so if you would um, join in and just praise for them and prayer for them, there's there's nothing quite like birth to illustrate so much about what God's like and so much about what this world is, which is life and the new life and the potential that that life holds for all of us, even in sometimes the darkest situations. Speaking of dark situations, I want to talk about my life. Um, Oh, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Don't feel too bad for me. Uh, say what? <laughs> Swinging in the trees, I was. Yeah, you should have seen me. I was flying high. Uh, we had a great work day, uh, by the way, over there. Um, I want to thank everyone who attended. Um, Daniel for organizing it. Um, the trees out there look amazing. Um, and really, it is a small but significant reminder of what this church is, which is this church is not Mike Skinner, which is a good thing. Honestly, right? That's, I'm not joking. I think highly of myself, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good if this church was me. This church is not our board. This church is not our elders. Again, as great as our board is and as great as our elders are, this church is the community, and this church is the people who care enough to, to, to volunteer their time. Um, and, and it doesn't mean if you weren't available to come yesterday that that's not you, right? All of us in all kinds of different ways do that. Um, and so um, this is just the heartbeat of really what a community of faith is. Um, but back to me. So <laughs> a lot of you know, right, some, some things have have. have have happened, you know, I had some seizures, uh, had some hospitalizations, totaled the car. Uh, so Tuesday, I am uh, getting ready to go to an elders meeting, and I've got a, about an hour to spend, and I'm kind of a nerd, so I like to read, and I uh, get free books from publishers to review for them. And uh, about three years ago, I stopped reviewing the books, but they kept sending them to me. And so I kind of feel guilty every now and then. So I got a book, and I was like, hey, I'm going to try to read this one and, and review it for them. And so I'm working through it and had an hour or so. So I went into the garage, so we're not fully unpacked, and got a, was going to get a chair. And, and as I went to the garage, I heard the sound of a waterfall. And I was like, I don't remember installing a waterfall in the garage. And I looked over and saw that there was a great stream of water, like a water park, going from our hot water heater all the way across the garage um, to the other side. And, and our boxes, which are still unpacked, were soaked, and there's water everywhere. Um, and so I was like, great, our, our hot water heater is broken, I think. Um, this is my best guess right now. And uh, I was talking to some people, and they're like, man, you can't catch a break. Um, and I'm like, you know, life has an interesting... Life is an interesting thing, though, right? I mean, you got a couple seizures and you told your car, a water heater's nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's true, right? I mean, I sat in that garage and read a book waiting on a plumber. I s- Skyped into the elders' meeting. It's, it's small potatoes. And so this morning, I uh, get to the church after working very diligently on, on my sermon and open up my laptop and find out that my uh, laptop operating system has crashed. And so my laptop's now dead. 
Um, and at this point, I'm like, my life is a country song. <laughs> I don't like country. Um, so you have to bear with me a little bit. Um, I'm going from some memory here and, and from a couple of notes that I jotted down in the, the last 30 minutes or so. Um, but uh, I do believe that our topic this morning kind of carries itself um, and uh, the Spirit speaks strongly and powerfully. And so I want to invite you to open up your scriptures to Philippians chapter 2. If, if, if nothing else, what I can do with, this, with you this morning is explore one of my favorite passages in the Bible and one of, I think, the most powerful passages in the Bible. We're in a, a series on the Apostles' Creed right now. Uh, and uh, we're passing out some Bibles if, if you need some right now. Um, in this series in the Apostles' Creed, we are going through one of the oldest statements of faith. That's what creed means, um, what Christians believe. And, and we're doing that not necessarily because we want to preach the creed or because a creed has any sort of authority in and of itself, um, but we're doing so because it provides us a summary and a launching point to go into the Scriptures. Um, and just as you know, a matter of statement, uh, I, I want to invite you um, that if you are, are ever at a church, um, including this one, that's not preaching from the Scriptures, right? Leave. Find a new one, right? I mean, if I ever stop preaching from the Scriptures, get out of here, right? You, you need to be in a community that defines itself in the Word of God, that finds its life and vocabulary and faith from the Word of God. And so while we're looking at the creed, um, the creed is, is our launching point to thinking deeply about God. And, and what we've said is that the creed will provide us with two things, insight and balance. And, and, and for a Christian faith, what we've found, what I've found extensively is that often Christians lack insight into some of the more basic and some of the deeper truths of our faith, the things that really set us apart in the world, the things that really have the difference to make a big impact in our life. That and a lot of times Christians end up focusing or leaning one way to the exclusion of something else that's also true. And, and so we get out of balance. And so we might focus so much on our individual nature with our individual relationship with Christ that we forget that there's a community, there's a church that we also need to belong to. Or we focus so much um, on social justice and changing the world that we forget that ultimately that's God's job. That we play a part in it, but it's, it's, it's God's job. Um, and, and the creed is going to force us to balance ourselves. If we ignore the Holy Spirit, the creed's going to say, look, you gotta, you got to remember the Holy Spirit. He, he plays a role in here. And so for, for every sermon that we're, we're going through here, we're, we're kind of going line by line through the creed, and, and we're looking at what insight does it give us, and then what balance would it provide in our life. And so we have looked at just the idea of belief. The Apostles' Creed comes from an early baptismal statement. Uh, Jesus says, be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And the creed says, I believe in, the, in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, last week, we, we looked at what it means to believe in God the Father. Um, and this week, we move on to the second article, the longest article. And, and we'll start with the first, uh, the first two phrases here. So I'll read through the creed for us as we get started. I believe in God 
the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he ascended uh, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So I want to look at this, this, this phrase right here at the beginning. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Once again, we see that word believe, right? I believe in. And we want to remind ourselves that primarily faith is not a, 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 a agreement with a proposition, like a, a math fact, two plus two equals four. Primarily faith is a relationship. I believe in someone. I believe that their promises are true. I believe that they will come through for me. That's why faith and doubt can coexist, like, hopefully you're not doubting that two plus two equals four. Like, hopefully you're a believer on that. Hopefully there's no holdouts. Believing, believing in God is kind of like believing that my mom loves me. I do. And she's proven it to me over and over and over and over again. But sometimes there's an action that, that I'm kind of like, I don't, I'm not sure I would interpret that as loving. I don't quite understand that, right? But I still believe, or, or, or sometimes I have to do something trusting that her love will catch me after that risk. And, and that's what faith is. It supports our doubts and our questions. Because it's this living trust, commitment to the God revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And here we have, I believe in Jesus Christ, which I think is the centerpiece of our faith. Christianity is not built around necessarily the Father. And Christianity is not built necessarily around the Holy Spirit. It's built around the person of Jesus. Notice that the creed doesn't say, I believe in God the Son, which would be how, if you were being like strictly Trinitarian, you would refer to it. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed here says, I believe in Jesus. Jesus, as a name, has not existed for eternity. Jesus was the name given to a peasant born in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Who grew up largely without fanfare. Who at a certain point in time in northern Israel and Galilee, kind of like boondocks, started preaching and performing miracles and got a little bit of a following. Ended up getting attached to himself, the title of being some sort of king. And like most Jewish people who got attached with that title king, ended up on a cross and was crucified. What's interesting and what often people don't know is is this is not, Jesus is not unique in all of those facts. Have, have you heard of Simon Bar Kokhba? His Jewish name, get a, get a, like a, Simon Bar Kokhba. Have you heard of Judas of Galilee? Judas of Galilee, not the Judas in the, the scriptures. 
These are both messianic figures in the first century. They're Jewish men who claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be the king. In fact, Simon had a much bigger following than Jesus. The religious leaders supported Simon. If you've read the Gospels, the religious leaders did not support Jesus. And just like all messianic pretenders, Rome thought they were cute and put him on a cross and said, who's Lord now? Who's king of the Jews now? But we don't remember those guys. You go out to town square and ask people, hey, who's Jesus of Galilee? They'll probably be like, they the, portray Jesus. You're like, no, you should, you should really know more about ancient history. Who's Simon bar I don't know. They're just weird Jewish people from the first century. They believed weird things, and they died, and everyone forgot about them. They had followings. Lots of people committed. Lots of people willing to give their lives for them. And once they were buried, they walked away sad, confused, looking for the next thing. But Jesus of Nazareth, who had these similarities, died, but his movement continues. And Christians say it's because there's no body that could be produced three days later. This claim of, of resurrection is a, a unique thing, right? You don't find it. This is one of the things that makes us think it's, it's something that is historical. It's, it's because there was no expectation that the Messiah would die and resurrect. The Jews believed in resurrection, but they thought it would happen to everybody at the end of time. That's why the disciples are confused when Jesus resurrected. They have to work through, what exactly does this mean? We weren't expecting a crucified and then risen Messiah. When you look at history and you're trying to determine whether people are lying or telling the truth, Oftentimes, when they start to believe something that they had not already guessed or prophesied or predicted, that's a key indicator, right, that maybe something forced them to change their mind. And it seems to be what happened with Jesus. The creator says, I believe in Jesus of Nazareth. And then it gives titles to this Jesus. And, and I think I, I spoke last week with the Father and, and I explained why I believe in God and it ultimately centers on Jesus, right? I believe in, in, in God because I believe in Jesus and, and the belief in Jesus, God's Son, presupposes the belief in the Father. The Son must have a Father and presupposes consequentially the belief in the Spirit, God with us, who Jesus sent. But at the center of our belief, at the center of our experience, at the center of Christianity, at the center of God's revelation to humanity is this Palestinian man, Jesus of Nazareth. And he not only is a man born of a woman, we'll talk about next week, but Christians from very on said some very powerful things about him. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, Christ is not a last name. Over a long period of time, because we've seen that so often, sometimes we kind of assume that, right? Jesus Christ, Mike Skinner. And we think it's just, as, you know, Jesus E. Christ. That's his last name. That's how he signed it, J. Christ. It was like the first J. Crew. He had a little fashion model going on in the first century. 
Christ, though, is a, a title. It, it, it starts as an adjective, anointed, and then it turns into a title, the anointed one. Um, it comes from the Hebrew uh, Messiah, which is translated into Greek as Christos. And then what we do in English is we transliterate it, which means we don't actually make a new word for it. We just sound it out in English, Christ, the anointed one. The Jews believed that um, certain people were anointed by God so that they had special power and privilege and purpose. And prophets were anointed by God. Kings were anointed by God. King David was often called the anointed one. But then when the Israelites were in exile and oppressed, they came to believe in a promise that one day God would send the ultimate anointed one, the Messiah, the one who would come rescue them, and not only them, but all of creation. And when the early Christians say Jesus Christ, we really, if we want to read that accurately, should probably add in a the, because it's a title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. So when we talk about insight, what the, the creed helps us with insight, the creed helps us remember that our faith is primarily, fundamentally, found, foundationally a, a Jewish faith. Jesus does not make any sense apart from Israel. Jesus comes from the promises of Israel. Jesus fulfills the promises of Israel. Awful things have happened in history when Christians have forgotten that Jesus was a Jewish man. Religious scholars trace lots of what happened in Germany in the Nazi regime to the fact that there was a trend in Jesus scholarship that started to focus on the divinity of Christ to the exclusion of his humanity and particularly his Jewishness. And so it becomes much easier to perhaps be anti-Semitic and to be so while being a Christian, not realizing that your Lord was Jewish, not was even, is Jewish. Jesus today is a Jewish man, alive, will get there, rose from the dead. Jesus, the Christ, his only son, that his pronoun is important, right? Whose son? It's the father's son from all of eternity. This word son is used in the scriptures as well as a term for, term for, for kingship. Jesus says, I will anoint my son as king in Psalm 2. And that's a, a, a chapter that's quoted often in the New Testament. When you see in the New Testament, Jesus referred to as God's son, um, you can often um, extrapolate from that um, this idea of kingship. God's, God would send his son. His son would be the king. Jesus, his son, our Lord. Lord here is an important term as well. Lord is a term for king. Jesus is king. Lord also is a term for divinity, which corresponds with Jesus being God's only son. I want to look at this in a passage of scripture with you in Philippians chapter 2. This is often called the Christ hymn. We believe that it existed before Philippians was even written. 
So we might be looking at something that was sung and used in the earliest types of church settings in the second century or the second decade, third decade maybe. Paul includes it in Philippians, the poem. We'll pick it up in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the poem. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Does this sound like the creed to you? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I could spend the next two hours unpacking why I think this is one of the most beautiful, mind-blowing, breathtaking passages in the Scriptures. Let me point out just a couple of things here. You've got what theologians describe as a a, a downward mobility um, movement dynamic happening in this passage. Jesus is given preexistence here meaning he existed before he existed, right, as Jesus. He says he was in the form of God. And he, he, he has this downward mobility. There's kind of two steps to this, right? He empties himself and becomes a human. And not only that, he becomes a so-called criminal who dies the death of a, a criminal, And we often, as Christians, look at Jesus' death on the cross to see the full expression of God's love for us. And I don't think that's wrong. But I would say to you as a theology professor, and as someone going through the Apostles' Creed, we're kind of looking a little more theologically, that out of those two jumps, those two jumps down, this is a diving board, And you have God taking big leaps downwards, right? Which is a bigger jump? For the God who created the entire world, who has existed for eternity in perfect loving community with the Father and the Spirit, to become a creature, to take on a body, to have to grow experience pain, be hungry, or for a human being to have to die. I would suggest the first. Imagine, here's the the fancy theological word we use, the qualitatively difference, the qualitative difference between creator, and creature. That gulf is beyond any of our capabilities to understand. And Jesus bridges it. If you want to dwell on God's love for you, 
The cross is a great place for that. But the incarnation is a great place for that too. So I did my thesis on something you'll never care about. Um, It's a good 200 pages. The gist of it, though, deals with the incarnation and deals with whether Jesus was really a human being. I was looking at ancient arguments in the, the third century. And I was going through this thesis, and, and this is why I'm kind of an academic. It's because we all worship in different ways, right? And we all have different ways where we get to where we feel close to God. And we have that like super rational experience, like I can't explain it, but I just feel like I'm there with him. I've found that so often in theology. I've found that so often when I'm reading a page where I understand one out of every six words. And then when I'm writing a report on it where I'm also understanding one out of their six words I'm writing. And then it hits me. God the Son. could not have had any better of a life, of an existence for us and our salvation, decided it was worth it to make this unimaginably deep jump and to humble himself and become one of us. And to me, that thought, I mean, I could just sit in that for hours. I mean, I could just, in my garage with the water spraying everywhere, just sit there and bask. What? love. What kind of a God is that? Yes, he he then makes another jump downwards, right? He dies on the cross. And that's huge. Don't, please, I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying sometimes, right, we can find even more to praise God about if we, we really think through some maybe more difficult concepts like the incarnation, How amazing is this? Let me also point out something from Philippians 2 here. It says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, being born in the likeness of men. There's a big debate over here about how to best translate this. And I'm I'm pretty convinced on the debate for lots of reasons that this word here in verse 6 who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, is the absolutely wrong word to be put there. It should have two letters in front of it. It should read... Actually, it does actually better. Some translations say although. 
though I think it's okay. I would, I would translate it, though, to be clearer. Because. Who, because he was in the form of God, didn't consider his, his privileges as God something to hold on to for himself, but instead surrendered himself in self-sacrificial love for his creation. We've talked about this before. I think I did an amazing Christmas sermon on this once. <laughs> when we come to Christmas and we see God being born as a baby, we're like, that's, wow, that's weird. And, and, and when we come to Easter and we see God dying on a cross, we think, wow, that's weird. And, and there's surprising things, right, that God does. I think that the real, like at the heart of our faith, the real surprise is not that God sometimes does things out of character. As if, of course, God should not be expected to become a human. And of course, God should not be expected to suffer and give his own life for the salvation of humans. The real surprise of our faith is that the God revealed to us has that very nature. That the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, who exist in pure, self-sacrificial love, this is actually according to their nature. You would expect these types of actions. It's not out of nature for God to say, I'm not going to hold on to all my power and responsibilities and watch my creation suffer. It's in his nature to say, I'm going to sacrifice and go and pursue and save. It's in his nature to say, I will even suffer to save. Because he is God, because he is the son in this triune Godhead, because he exists as love, he does these things. And then the father raises him from the dead. Highly exalts him. And then there's some special things going on. He gives him the name above every name. This is referencing back to a chapter in Isaiah. I believe it's 45 or 42 on my sermon notes. I had it written down exactly. Where God has a name higher than any other name. And it says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under God and, in, and under the earth. This is also, again, in Isaiah, something that's said of God the Father. What's happening here in Philippians 2 happens all over the New Testament, which is that phrases, statements, and titles attributed to the one true God are constantly attributed to the person, the man, Jesus from Nazareth. And we're so used to thinking that Jesus is God that, that we, we miss the radicality of that, right? Imagine I died, and a few years later, Jake Milby, uh listened to a lot of my sermons, worked closely with me, starts going around preaching. Mike Skinner, he was actually the creator of the entire universe and the flesh. You'd be like, well, we knew him. <laughs> Seemed like a person to us. Seems unlikely. This is, what the, this is what they're doing in the Apostles' Creed. They're saying, Jesus of Nazareth. 
You knew his mom. You knew his brothers and sisters. You know where he grew up. He created the entire world. Everything we've learned about God and can say about God, we can say about this human being. God become flesh. At the heart of the Christian confession is this phrase, Jesus is Lord. So in the Old Testament, God gave a name to his people, Yahweh. And it was so holy that the Jewish people shortened it to to just four letters, Y-H-W-H. And when you're, um, and they didn't pronounce it, uh, Jewish people, out of respect for the holiness of the name, which I think is a mistake, not to offend my Jewish brothers and sisters who I'm friends with, um, but I think it's a mistake because I think God gives us a personal name so that we can use it, right? I don't think he reveals his name to us so that we can pretend to not know it. Um, I think that's the personal relationship aspect there. I don't think we should take that personal offering and make it impersonal. Um, and so they wouldn't, they wouldn't pronounce it. They wouldn't even put the vowels there so that people would know not to say this out loud. They'd say Adonai, Lord, instead of Yahweh's name. What you'll find is your English Bibles have, I think, unfortunately, um, carried over this Jewish tradition. So when you're reading in the Old Testament and you see Lord in all caps, you'll find this. Every single Bible in the English You'll see Lord sometimes in capital L, lowercase o-r-d. Sometimes you'll see Lord in all caps. That Lord in all caps, we don't explain it very well to people, but that is where in the original text it says Yahweh, God's name, which is why you get some kind of confusing statements where it's like the Lord, our Lord, and you're like, well, this seems redundant. Well, because the reason it's saying Yahweh, our Lord, Right? So when the Old Testament is translated into Greek, every time it says Yahweh, they translate that into the Greek word for Lord. And so when the Christians say Jesus is Lord, they're saying not only is he king, but it's a claim of divine status. Lord, the title we gave to Yahweh, we now give to the Son, co-equal in divinity co-equal in worship and power and glory. To say Jesus is Lord means that we are to submit our lives to him, to follow him. To say Jesus is Lord is to also say that he is God in the flesh. He's our clearest picture of God. He reveals the nature and the character of God. So let's talk about the insight and balance that I think the creed here with Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, gives us. For insight, when we talk about Jesus, there's, we, have to, we have to at some point deal with who Jesus is, his identity. Everyone does. Most powerful historical figure in history. I mean, I don't care what your background is, what your religious belief is, right? No one's changed the world as much as Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, it's just really hard to argue with that. I mean, you could hate the guy, but I mean, it's just hard to argue that the world has not been transformed more than any other human history. I mean, he had no army. He had no kingdom. He wrote nothing. 
that we still have. And so for a Muslim, we consider him a, a prophet, an important prophet. Jewish people usually go the same route. He's a, a prophet. Atheists, agnostics can go other routes. Maybe he's a good moral teacher. Maybe he had good examples. You know, maybe he just is responsible for this weird fundamentalists who think none of us should have fun and dance and play cards. But the creed, the scriptures say, look at that person, Jesus of Nazareth. And when you look at him, if you're seeing him correctly, you're seeing the God of the universe, second person of the Trinity in flesh. And you're seeing the king of the world, the king of all kings. And in balance, Jesus is the common phrase we use, our Savior and Lord, my personal Savior and Lord. Um, a lot of times, Christians, though, unfortunately, maybe put too much balance on the Savior part of God's relationship, the Christ part, the anointed one come to redeem humanity. Um, for a lot of us, you know, this is how I grew up, right? Um, I was six years old, and from the beginning, I was a smart kid. I was, I was in a presentation, and they said, do you want to go to heaven and, you know, have a great time forever, or do you want to go to hell and, and burn in flames and be away from your family and your friends and everyone you know and love? What do you want to do? And I was like, I think I'll go with the first option. Anyone else? I think we're all on board. Yeah. And that's our initiation. It's kind of fire insurance. And it's not that it's not true, right? But it can create a person who never really thinks through the, the fact that Jesus is also Lord. That he has, has teachings. He has instructions for a lifestyle. That his only concern is not just some kind of key to the afterlife. But about you and the world and right now. And the creed balances us and says, let's proclaim boldly and loudly that we believe Jesus is Lord. On the same kind of phrase here, some of us maybe grew up in a tradition or, or maybe, you know, I, I, I might be guilty of, of pushing the Lord too much. I, I, you know, um, I'm open to that. I like to diss on the Savior thing because that's kind of the tradition I grew up in that I thought was out of balance. And so maybe for, for, for you, Jesus is, is kind of frightening. He's kind of this unapproachable king. He kind of has these really strict teachings that you're just never going to live up to. And for you, you need, you need to hear that Savior part. He came to redeem you need to realize that his lordship, his power, his kingship is not characterless. Just like the Father's almightiness is not characterless, 
Look in the Gospels. What kind of king is Jesus? He's a gentle king. He's a loving king. He's a merciful king. And if you're a screw-up, there's good news because he likes you. He wants you to eat with him. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants to be patient with you. Not demand instant change. He just wants to say, hey, come, come spend time with me. Trust me, I'll rub off on you. You'll find life slowly but surely. So maybe we need, we need some balance over on that side. And remember the kind of king, the kind of Lord that Jesus is. The last thing I'll mention here is, is if, you, if you look, I, I want to point out, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Notice it doesn't say my Lord. Michelle and I were talking because you've got other creeds that often begin with we believe and they go through and the, each line that starts with believe say we believe. And I think both of us agree that's probably a better approach to the creeds. It emphasizes the communal nature, right? Not just that, that I'm believing this, it's that we believe this. That's why it's a creed. Otherwise, it's just some weird thing Pastor Mike wrote down. And Michelle was saying, you know, are there any versions of the Apostles' Creed that have weed? We? Not weed. <laughs> Not in the notes. <laughs> and I was like, look, I looked for them because I, I like the we too. But all of them are I. But you do have our here. Jesus Christ is our Lord. And he teaches us to pray to our Father. Not my Father. Not my Lord. This is what maybe I think we can improve on. Is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Or maybe we could approach it like this. Have you come to recognize that you're a part of a group that says, communally, Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior? That together as a church, we find ourselves claimed, rescued, and belonging to this man, this man who is God in the flesh, this man who we are grateful slaves and servants to. There are a lot of writers from Nazi Germany that saw nationalism as one of the greatest dangers to Christianity. So let me define nationalism versus patriotism to you. Patriotism would be pride in your country, love of country. Nationalism would be that taken a little farther. Nationalism would be like tribalism, like us versus them. Like us only, us first. That would be, be nationalism. And, and we've seen this project play out. And, and so don't hear me making some weird Hitler comparison this morning, but we've seen it play out in Germany. And, and all of the leading theologians, all of them, say it was nationalism that killed the Christian church in Germany. 
nationalism that convinces you that everything your country do is right and should be supported and should only matter about your country. And when Christians say, or Lord, we have to ask the question, who is the or? Is it America? Is it the Christians in America? No, the or is the church. The church in Iraq, the church in Syria, the church in Yemen, Yemen. The, 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 the church in Iran, the church in North Korea, the church in China, the church in Australia. I hear there's one in Canada. I should stop making that joke now. We have beautiful Canadians in our congregation. You're, you've missed out on like six years of Canadian jokes. This is why the, the church can coexist with patriotism and, and maybe should coexist with patriotism. But the church should stand up to any form of authoritarianism or, or nationalism that says we, we can't care for those hurting in other places. Look at hospitals. You see how they're mostly named after churches? I mean, this is the history of the church to accept the refugee, to stay behind in the cities where the plague is, to risk their lives, to take care of the ones that no one else wants to take care of because it's dangerous and it will cost your life. When we say our Lord, we mean a global church. We mean a transnational church which means it's, it's not wrong, right? It's, it, I, I compare it to kind of churches. I love FCQ. I think we're pretty good. I wouldn't be here if I didn't, right? I mean, I guess, like, if I didn't think we were doing something right, I would just go to a church that was doing it better. But that doesn't mean I hate every other church, right? I'm proud of our church. I believe in our church. I work primarily for our church, but if someone was hurting in another church, I would, I would want to help them. If there were other churches hurting, we, we wouldn't want to support them, even though there are other churches. They might get funding from other people. It's, it's, it's our Lord. The community is, is, is so important here. So I want to embarrass Janelle, because it's Janelle's birthday, if you didn't know. I was... I was worried you weren't going to be here, so I couldn't do that. You're like, I shouldn't have come. Um, Janelle is my spiritual mother. When I was a a baby Christian growing up, I had a, a few spiritual dads, a few adult fatherly figures growing me up in the faith. But Janelle was the one who who came in in that female role and, and, and who, who encouraged me and grew me up. And the reason is because Janelle believes in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so she sees other people 
and she sees a, a need, a connection, a desire to reach and to grow and to encourage. And I would encourage all of you to let this belief in our Lord seek out that same desire to pour into others, to provide relief to others, to stand up for others. I believe in Jesus Christ, the Father's only Son and our Lord. Do you? Let's pray.